Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. And get, uh, send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again. Also, you can send messages to the show at the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where we can talk sports and have fun doing a great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by actor and comedian Gary Owen. Think like a man, too. Gary's a, a big LeBron James fan, so we're definitely going to get his take on the LeBron James situation. LeBron James, we all know. If you've been on, if you haven't been, on, if you've been under a rock, you, you would know. I mean, you wouldn't. Uh, you, you know, LeBron James. It's signed with Cleveland, so we're going to talk to Gary about that. Also, Grizzlies forward guard Vince Carter will be joining us. Uh, Vince signed with the Grizzlies a couple weeks ago, and he's with Memphis. And uh, Memphis is a 50-plus win team over the last couple seasons, a, a team that, you know, is always going to be a tough out for everybody and anybody, but Vince joins them. And we'll see what Vince Carter can do for the Memphis Grizzlies, but we're going to talk to Vince Carter about that. So Gary Owen, think like a man, too. Uh, and also Vince Carter of the Memphis Grizzlies. And so make sure you stick around and stay. Vince Carter will be joining us at 7.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and Gary Owen will be joining us at 6.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's get right down to it. Ray Rice came down today. Ray Rice will be suspended two games for the incident that he had with his girlfriend, at fiancé at the time, now his wife, where we, we all saw the video numerous of times, and, uh, you know, Ray Rice dragging his fiance at the time, now wife, out of the elevator. And, you know, obviously it was not a very comfortable video to watch. wasn't very comfortable to watch at all. Very disturbing, to be exact. And, but you look at it, and, you know, I thought, you know, because of how uncomfortable and how disturbing the video was, I thought Ray Rice would – definitely get at least four games, if not half of the season. That was my thought process, because that video, it, it's hard to ignore. It, it's just very disturbing. And so you, you, by looking at that video and looking at that video, you see that video, your thought process, wow, this guy really did a number on this girl. But here's also some things I think we should keep in mind in terms of why maybe Roger Goodell went this way, two games instead of four games. It's two games in a game check, so essentially it's three games in terms of financial, but in, in terms of actual games, it's two games this season, the first two games of the Ravens season. But I look at this situation, and, and, I, and I say, and I think, and, and I say, why did Roger Goodell choose to go this route in terms of only giving him two games? I mean, obviously, Ray Rice and Roger Goodell didn't meet. Ray Rice and his wife together met with Roger Goodell, so that might have swayed him. And also, you've got to take into mind, take into account this. 
um, you know, he, he went through pre-trial intervention. So pretty much he's got a period of time where he's on probation, he's got to get counseling, keeps his nose clean and whatnot, it goes away. But you look at it this way. Ray Rice and his wife ultimately worked this situation out. And, you know, ultimately they got married. They, they pushed up their marriage, their wedding, a few months. So ultimately they got married. They're together. They worked it out. And also, taking a look at it, you know, reports were that she was, I don't want to say, you know, she was, she was aggressive too. I mean, it was a fight. It was a fight between two people. And obviously, when it's a fight between a man and a woman, you know as a man that you can't beat up on a woman, so you've got to make a decision to basically walk away. Not always easy. Not always easy, especially if someone hits you. Not always easy, especially if that someone hits you and it hurts. It's not always easy. But as a man, that's what you have to do. But at the end of the day, Ray Rice and his wife worked it out. They, they came together. They're married now. And here's the thing about relationships sometimes. You know, sometimes it takes serious situations. Sometimes it takes turmoil, trouble. Sometimes it takes that to bring you closer together. Sometimes it brings you closer together. Sometimes it breaks you apart. On the surface, at this point in time, it seems like this incident has brought these two together. They're married. They're married now. Now, you can argue and you could say, well, she's really not too smart in marrying this guy after what transpired. But they're married. It is what it is. They're married now. So they worked it through. They worked it out. Now, a lot of people are, are looking at the suspension. They're also looking at Josh Gordon and his, his, the possibilities of him being suspended for a year for smoking pot, smoking weed. Now, obviously, you compare the two offenses, being up on a woman and smoking weed, obviously you would have to say beating up on a woman is a little more severe than smoking weed. And it is. But you also, I, I mean, I don't want to say it goes to a larger issue, but it kind of does in terms of how we view marijuana in our society and, and how much time we give to people who do or, or are caught with, uh, you know, amount of marijuana, whatever they're smoking it or, or whether they're selling it or, or whatever they're doing with it. You know, we, we, we give society-wise, as a society, maybe we need to look at that. And I think that's also a fair argument. But the rules are the rules and the way it's in place. And, it's, you know, Josh Gordon knows. He knows the rules. He knows that he's missed time before for smoking weed. He knows what's up against him. So he should know that he can't smoke it. He can't smoke it. I mean, it's kind of bottom line, point blank. If you're told that you can't smoke it, and if you do smoke it, there's a possibility that you're going to get a year's suspension, well, you can't smoke it. So, I mean, it's not bright on his part, and it could go to a larger issue, some of the problems that he may have that he may need to, to address over this time, during this time. But I look at Ray Rice, and, you know, I just think, as far as I'm concerned, I don't necessarily have a big problem with it. I guess when you compare it to Josh Gordon, that's where the problem lies. But I really don't have much of a problem with it because at the end of the day, him and his wife, 
the woman that was involved in this situation. She was his fiance at the time. They're married. So pretty much they worked it out. They worked this thing out, and now they're working towards living happily ever after, and everybody that's ever been married knows that happily ever ever after is all a fallacy. Obviously, there's going to be more turmoil with any type of marriage. There's always going to be strife. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be problems. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because there's no such thing as perfect people. So we're not perfect people. Therefore, it's impossible to have a perfect marriage. Impossible. So, obviously, Ray Rice and his wife obviously are going to have more troubles as they become, you know, as they go along with their marriage. But after this particular situation, maybe both parties have learned to better deal with it. Both parties have better have learned to deal with their issues with one another and how they act out their issues. So I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. In comparison to Josh Gordon, obviously you do have a problem with it, but just on his face alone, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I really don't because, again, as I said before, I'll say it again. These two have essentially worked this thing out. These two are back together, married. So they they took their relationship to the next level. They're married, happily ever after, hopefully, together. So they worked it out. And here's the the thing. I said at the time when this incident happened, I should should have – Put, yeah, I should have put it on today so you could hear it, so I have proof. But I said at the time when this incident happened that this incident would work itself out, that what, what pretty much has happened, I said would happen. I didn't say anything about marriage, but I did say at the end of the day, these two will work this thing out. They'll get back together. They'll talk about it was a mistake and so on and so forth. They're working on their issues, so on and so forth. They love each other. They just had a bad night, so on and so forth. I said those things when the incident happened. I said they were going to work this thing out, and by golly, they worked this thing out. Actually, their their relationship seemingly has gotten stronger because now they are married. So I knew it was going to, what was going to happen. I knew it was going to transpire. This is not nothing new to me. You, you see it all the time in sports. You see it all the time in life. People saying, you know what, this is it. You know, you, you, you fight with the spouse, the, the, your husband beats you up. You don't press charges, you go back to him. Sometimes it happens again, sometimes it doesn't. But they work it out. Janae Palmer, now his wife, Janae Rice, here's the thing, and I said at the time, she's not willing, she's not going to risk the life that she has being with a professional football player. The, the life of luxury, the, the beautiful houses, the fancy cars, fancy restaurants, the beautiful vacations. I, I don't think, I said at the time, and I guess I'll stick by it, she probably wasn't willing to, to get, leave that alone. She still wanted that life. She still has that life with Ray Rice. But hopefully, again, at the end of the day, hopefully, hopefully, and, and this is bigger than football and bigger than sports. Hopefully these two as a married couple are now stronger, 
Hopefully these two won't repeat the behavior that we saw in that video. Hopefully that behavior will never be repeated, and hopefully these two can have a successful relationship, a successful marriage moving forward. Hopefully it will happen between these two. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily have a problem with this suspension because at the end of the day, they did work it out. Michael Sam. We, we all know the comments Tony Dungy had uh, about Michael Sam. He clarified those comments. Um, you know, and he, he clarified and he said, quote, I was asked whether I would have drafted Michael Sam, and I answered that I would not have drafted him. I gave my honest answer, which is that I felt drafting him would bring much distraction to the team. At the time of my interview, the Oprah Winfrey reality show that was going to chronicle Michael's first season had been announced. So at the time, and now the, the, the actual writer of the article, I don't have his name, but the actual writer of the article said this interview was done maybe one to two weeks ago. So that, and, you know, the whole situation with the Oprah show and everything, and ultimately that show getting canned or at least tabled for now, that was mid-May. So, you know, there's obviously a little, uh, between the two, there's a little difference in terms of when this transpired. I don't know who to believe. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, you know, at the, and, and, and if, you look at it, his answers just stopping right there after the Oprah Winfrey show was announced. I mean, I talked about it, and I said, you know, when I saw that, my thought process was, okay, you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Michael Sam is a seventh-round draft pick. Seventh-round draft picks get cut all the time, all the time. So it's not uncommon it happens. So Michael Sam is a seventh-round draft pick. So with that being said, obviously a seventh-rounder, if he comes with a level of baggage or a level of distraction, and I don't want to say Michael Sam comes with any type of baggage. I mean, it's sexuality. It is what it is. I don't want to call that baggage. But if you're going to call it baggage, it's the same type of baggage that comes with a Tim Tebow, per se. And Tim Tebow, the thing about Tim Tebow I mean, you look at Tim Tebow. I mean, the thing about Tim Tebow, and, and one of the reasons I think he's having trouble catching on in the NFL is Tebow mania, is, is what comes with Tim Tebow. It's not him himself. It's with everybody else. It's everybody else. It's not Tebow himself. It's everybody else. And you can even say the same thing in a lot of ways, draw uh, you know, a parallel between Michael Sands. It's not necessarily him per se, and I thought it, I, I was pointing at him after he talked about doing this reality show. Now he's tabled that, and he's kind of taking a back seat in a lot of ways. You haven't heard a lot of, from him. When, when I said, when, he, when I, my thought process, when I first heard about the reality TV show, well, I said Michael Sam is more worried about being not only a football player, but being the first gay football player. So it was more than just football for me, from what I saw, based off his decision to do the reality TV show, after it was tabled, okay, my thought process has changed a little bit. But it's not necessarily Michael Sam, I don't think, the gay football player. I think what may come with Michael Sam and all the attention that, is, that comes to Michael Sam because of, of, of his homosexuality. I mean, reality is 
to me, it is what it is. But I think what Tony Junchi is truly trying to say is that, and, and I think it's a big question that we have to answer as coaches, if you're a coach, if you're a general manager, you have to answer this question. As an owner as well, you have to answer this question. Does the production meet the possible distraction? Does it meet it? It doesn't meet it or is it more? Is the production more than the distraction? With Allen Iverson, obviously. You know, you had all the stuff going on with Allen Iverson outside of basketball, but the production outweighed the distraction. Wasn't even close. Carol Owens, for periods of time, did the production outweighed the distraction. And a lot of people talk about the Michael Vick situation, how in some respect maybe Tony Dungy is a hypocrite because Tony Dungy was behind Michael Vick. Tony Dungy was, almost, was a mentor to Michael Vick. He was a mentor for Michael Vick when Michael Vick got out of prison. He was a mentor. He stood by him. He supported him, wishing and hoping that he would get his second chance. He was there with him, there for him. And a lot of people make that parallel and make that comparison. Michael Vick, I guess, in a lot of ways, was not a guess. He was a distraction because of what he did and how people feel about dogs fighting. But here's the thing. Here's, I think, where it's different. Michael Vick, talent-wise, in comparison to Michael Sam, I don't think there's really a comparison. I mean, you would be more willing to take on that type of distraction because of the possibilities. And it turns out that the possibilities pretty much worked out well for the Philadelphia Eagles, at least in 2010, when Michael Vick, you know, had a big-time season. Michael Vick led the Eagles to the playoffs. I mean, he had a big-time turnaround season. Came out of nowhere and had a big-time season. So in terms of Michael Vick and Michael Sam, I don't think it's a comparison because of the level of talent. The level of talent between Michael Sam and Michael Vick are different. Michael Vick, a lot more talented than Michael Sam. So I don't necessarily believe that it's that much of a comparison. To me, when it comes to football players, it's all about whether you can play sports. It's whether or not you can play. If you can play, you can play. If you can ball, you can ball. Bottom line. If you can get it done on the court, if you can get it done on the field, if you can get it done anywhere, if you can play, you can play. So I don't really think it matters. If you can play, you can play. But I also look at it this way. But if you're outside things, I mean, Adam Pac-Man Jones. You know, Adam Pac-Man Jones became too much of a distraction for the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, obviously he got himself in trouble and got himself suspended. So, you know, they, they were done with him. You look at the Josh Gordon. At this point, the Browns are going to stand by him, and they should, because Josh Gordon gets it done, got it done last year. He's had a big time here. He's 23 years old, a young guy. He's a young guy. So the reality is, with a Josh Gordon, of course you're not going to get rid of him. Justin Blackman just got arrested today for the Jaguars. Of course, we know the issues that he's had. But he's young. He has talent. So, of course, you're not going to discard him. Of course, you're not going to get rid of him. It doesn't make sense for you to get rid of a guy like that. He's young. People change. People are entitled to change, and people actually do change. 
So in terms of, you know, looking at these guys, of course a Josh Gordon can be a distraction with all the things that he's going through in terms of off-the-field stuff. And in a lot of ways he could be a liability, more so a distraction, because if he's missing time, he's not on the football field, he's not making plays for you, and basically he becomes a liability because you can't use him because he can't keep himself out of trouble. So here's the thing. I look at this whole situation, and let's bring it back now. Let's bring it back. Bring it back to Michael Salmon and, and Tony Dungy. I, I think at the end of the day what Tony Dungy was trying to say and was being honest about it, and he gave his honest opinion about it, was that at the end of the day, Michael Sam, seven-round draft pick, Jet might be too much of a distraction for the team. Because at the end of the day, and let's circle it back, let's bring it back, does the production equal or outweigh the possible distraction? And that could be the reason he went in the seventh round. He was the SEC player of the year, defensive player of the year. But you also have to look at this. He didn't perform well at the combine. He didn't do well there. So with that being said, a lot of people looked at this guy as a tweener. Not really good in coverage, but kind of smallish as a defensive end. So you don't really see him on special teams. And also, truth be told, Michael Sam is going to have a tough time making the Rams roster. They have a pretty good front seven. So with that being said, looking at the Rams' front seven, it's going to be difficult for Michael Sam to make that roster. He, he has an uphill battle as far as I'm concerned. The Rams are, I mean, you know, ultimately got drafted, but I don't know how good of a situation that is for him because of what's in front of him and because of what he has to do in order to get on the football field in order to make the team. He's got a lot to do. He's got an uphill battle. The Rams have a good front seven. He's got a tough battle. Plus they're a 4-3 defense. So that makes it even more difficult for Michael Sam because, as we said, he's a tweener. He's a tweener. So you look at the Rams, I mean, Quinn, Chris Long, I mean, in terms of what they have, I mean, they have a good front seven and have a good rotation with their front seven. So it, it, it's not going to be easy for Michael Sam to, A, get on the football field, but, I mean, I have to say, let me excuse me, let me bring it back, A, make the team, because, you know, here's the thing, with that front seven that the Rams have, Michael Sam is going to have to do other things to make the team, and that's play special teams. And a lot of people just looking at his play, looking at his abilities, don't believe that he could do special teams. So he runs into a problem because of the lack of athleticism. He runs into a problem. So Michael Sam is going to have a difficult time making the St. Louis Rams. I think it's smart on his part. He's keeping a low profile. You haven't really heard too much about Michael Sam. Last time you heard about him, was the ESPYs where he got the, the, the Courage Award. So that's the last time you heard pretty much from Michael Sam. So he's been quiet, and he's doing the right things. You got, I think it's best at this point in time for him to be quiet. I think it's best for him to be smart 
And being smart to me is being quiet. Don't say anything. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't do anything that's going to cause and draw attention to yourself. Not at this time. Because at this point in time, you know, you got drafted, celebrating that and all that good stuff. That's fun, and that's great. But at the end of the day now, it's time to strap it up, and it's time to prove that you belong in the National Football League. It's time to prove that you belong on the St. Louis Rams, if not the St. Louis Rams, somewhere else in this league. It's good. It's cool that his jersey's selling a lot. A lot of people are buying his jersey. That's good. That's well and good. But it's not going to mean anything if he can't make a roster. Jeff Fisher has been out. And Jeff, Fisher, Jeff Fisher has been saying and has been on record as saying if he's not good enough, he's going to get cut. Bottom line, point blank. He's going to get cut. Do I, I mean, we'll see what happens with Michael Sam. I don't know what he's going to be. A lot of people don't believe that he's going to be anything special. We'll see. We'll see. So, with that being said, let's just say Michael Sam, let's just say Michael Sam gets cut by the Rams and he, he goes away. I mean, at that point, obviously he doesn't have the platform to, to, to make some money, to make money, to market himself. He doesn't have the platform of the NFL. So this is important for him. This is important for him to make the roster so he can continue to have his platform and he can ultimately continue to, to get endorsement deals and make money. If Michael Sam is a star, the sky's the limit, I believe, in terms of endorsements. The sky is the limit. If this guy comes on to the NFL and is a star, he's going to make, some, make a lot of money off the field. He's going to make himself a lot of money off the field. If he can stay on a roster, I believe he's going to make himself a good amount of money. If he can just find a way to stay on a roster, he's going to make money. Definitely. Definitely going to make money. So we'll see what happens with Michael Sam. We'll see what he does. We'll see how this story plays out. But I think a lot of people, I also think, you know, a lot of people were so quick to jump on this story with Tony Dungy because, you know, we all know Tony Dungy is a devout Christian. We, we all know that, you know, obviously being that Tony Dungy is a devout Christian, he probably has a, a, a point of view about homosexuality that is probably not popular. So I think a lot of people jumped on this because I, to me it's really not that big of a deal. He's given an honest opinion about a particular situation. I don't think it's that big of a deal. To me it's not. It, it, was, it was much to do about nothing. But you've got to figure out, you've got to look at the time. We're in July. So basketball season's over. LeBron and that whole situation, done. Basketball's done. We're in the heart of it. There's nothing else going on but baseball. So, you know, it's a little quiet. Training camp hasn't started. Gets started for a lot of teams today and near the end of the week. So that hasn't really started. So you haven't gotten information there. You haven't gotten any news there. So it's a slow time in the world of sports. It's a slow time. So because it's a slow time in the world of sports, you, you're going to make stories. I don't say make stories out of nothing, but you know, you're, you're going to push a story more because it's so slow, and you're going to focus on the story more because it's so slow. Because it's so slow, you're going to, you're going to you know, go at a story a little harder. But I look at the whole situation, and I, and I just think, 
a lot of people jumped on this because of who said it. Not necessarily what he said, but because of who said it. Tony Dungy. If it was a coach that may not have been a devout Christian, or at least open about his Christianity, it probably would not have been that big of a deal. You know, I don't think. I don't think. And I just don't think it's really not that big of a deal to me. It's really not. But we'll see how it plays out. And obviously, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Michael Sam can get it done, he can get it done. And if he can get it done, the sky's the limit marketing-wise for him. There's a lot of money, again, to be made for Michael Sam. We'll see if he can make a roster. We'll see if he can have the level of success necessary for him to reap the benefits. We shall see. Let's go to the NBA now. and The talk of the NBA at this point, LeBron James is all taken care of. Melo, all taken care of. All these guys are on their rosters. But the talk now is Kevin Love. And where will Kevin Love go? Who will Kevin Love go to? I mean, obviously at this point, we're hearing all different types of scenarios. Golden State, whether they're still in play or not. I mean, now the Bulls are in play, you know, with, with, with an offer of reportedly Doug McDermott, Taj Gibson, and the, the European center that they're bringing, that, a forward that they're bringing over, that they're very high on. A lot of people are very high on. Moroctic. Hopefully I said his name right. may have butchered it. But you understand what I'm saying. So you look at that, and you look at the Cavaliers and, and the, what they're offering reportedly. Andrew Wiggins did sign today, so now because he signed today, the Cavaliers now can't trade him for 30 days. So anything is possible days in terms of what may happen, in terms of who might get the services of Kevin Love. Obviously, I don't believe. Kevin Love is going to start the season with the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's not going to happen. It's just not. The T-Wolves, Kevin Love obviously doesn't want to return. So because he doesn't want to return, the reality is you're going to have to find a way to – you're going to have to trade him, and you're going to have to find a way to get some assets for Kevin Love. As I look at the two deals, to me, and I heard some reports that maybe – the T-Wolves were in love with, with, with the Bulls deal. You hear reports maybe they're more in love with the Cavaliers deal. As far as I'm concerned, the deal that I, if I'm the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the deal, if I'm LeBron James, I guess if you're LeBron James, but I should say the Minnesota Timberwolves, Flip Saunders and the Minnesota Timberwolves, the deal to me, if I'm the Timberwolves, the deal I make is the Cavalier deal where reportedly you're talking about Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, and possibly a number one pick. So, and, and I do it for this reason. I mean, I look at Taj Gibson. He's a dime a dozen. He's a role player. He's a solid role player. Good at what he does. I look at Doug McDermott. I don't know what he's going to be. And I look at the Euro, so the forward, Moroctic. Obviously, they're pretty high on him, but who knows? what he's going to be. Obviously, you're still talking about potential, and a lot of people believe he's going to be a very good NBA power forward. But I look at the Cavalier deal. Cavalier deal. I look at an Anthony Bennett who's showing some signs of life. 
in the summer league for the Cavaliers. I look at Andrew Wiggins, who a lot of people believe has star potential. When you have an opportunity to get a guy who has star potential, in a lot of ways you're going to have to go after him. And you're, I think that's the perfect deal because, let's be honest, you're going to have a hard time getting players to Minnesota. I mean, it's not a, a, a big-time NBA destination for a lot of players. So when you have a – because of that, free agency is going to be difficult for you. But you know what's going to be good for you, and you know what's going to work in your advantage if you draft right. So if they draft right, then they're in a good position to get themselves a superstar, and maybe that superstar or star – would be willing to stay in Minnesota. He falls in love with Minnesota. Kevin Garnett stayed there for a pretty long time. Pretty loyal guy. He stayed in Minnesota for a long time. Probably too long. But if you get an Andrew Wiggins, and, 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 and Andrew Wiggins falls in love with Minnesota, guess what? You have yourself a star. And it's difficult, as I said before, to get stars to come to Minnesota. So you got to draft right. you got to draft well. If you draft well then you got these guys locked up four to five years. you got them locked up for an extended period of time. you got them locked. They can't go nowhere. So with, with that being said, if I'm the T-Wolves, if I'm the T-Wolves, four-year deal, so Wiggins is there for four years. If I'm the T-Wolves, to me, Andrew Wiggins could possibly turn out to be a superstar in this league. May may not. Who knows? But I have to take that chance and go after him if I'm the T-Wolves. That's the deal I make, I take, if I'm Minnesota, because you have a guy in Andrew Wiggins who could possibly be a superstar. Possibly. I'm not saying he's going to be. I'm just saying possibly. You see tools. You, You see a lot of athleticism. You see a lot of ability. He's young, but you still see that ability. You see a guy who possibly could be that star. So if if I'm Minnesota, the deal that I make, and at this point we don't know what's going to happen with Golden State. I know Golden State, David Lee, Harrison Barnes, but they were reluctant. In terms, they they were very reluctant in terms of wanting to add Clay Thompson to that deal. And if you're Golden State, I think you have to think about something. To me, you look at Golden State, they're in a Western Conference. So it's not going to be easy to, to make it's, – it's hard to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. It's very hard to make the playoffs in the Western Conference, as we talked about numerous times on the show. I mean, you darn near need 50 wins to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. So it, it, it's difficult. It's a tough proposition. So not only is it difficult to get into the playoffs, but as I also talked about numerous times, you got to go through the gauntlet if you want to get to the NBA Finals. The San Antonio Spurs went through the gauntlet and got to the NBA Finals. I mean, they had to go through so much just to get to that point, just to get to the Finals. So if you're a Golden State Warriors, I mean, you look at it this way. A lot easier to find a two-guard than it is a power forward 
who can give you 26, who gave you the Timberwolves 26 and 12, who, who can give you consistently throughout his career, who can give you 20 and 10. It's difficult to find 20 and 10. That doesn't grow on trees. That is not out there all the time. So when you have an opportunity to get 20 and 10, 20 and 10, if you have an opportunity to get 20 and 10, you have to think about it. And if that means Clay Thompson, then that means Clay Thompson. You have to think about it because you have to do what you have to do to beat the San Antonio Spurs of the world, to, to, beat, the, to beat OKC, to beat Houston and Dwight Howard and James Harden, to beat the Clippers, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. you got to do what you got to do. you got to separate yourself somehow, some way. I guess we can say the Dallas Mavericks at this point. After what they did in this offseason, off season, excuse me, adding a Chandler Parsons, adding a Tyson Chandler. But you look at Kevin Love. You look at his numbers throughout the course of his career. I mean, 2010, 2011, 20 and 15, 20 points, 15 boards. 2011, 2012, 26 and 13. 26 and 13. You look at this guy's numbers, and they're eye-popping. So if you're the Cavaliers, as much as you don't want to part with Andrew Wiggins, I don't think you have a choice. 26 and 12, you pencil that in, pencil that in next to LeBron James. Guess what? LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love become that next big three. Guess what? Your chances of making it to the NBA Finals increase. Guess what? Your chances of winning a title increases 26-12. and 12. And granted, I know that was on the Timberwolves, but consistently, consistently 20-15, and 20-6-9. And and I mean, excuse me, 26-13. That's in 2011. That's in 2011, 20-15. 2012-26-13. I mean, he was injured throughout the course of the 2013 season, but 2014, 26, and 12. That's consistent. That's consistent double-double. That's a walking double-double. A career average of 19 and 12. So he eats glass. He eats glass, and he scores. And you know how many, I mean, you, you could talk about the possibility of picking pop with him and LeBron. Just, you know, LeBron James is going to give you a lot of, and LeBron James is the type of superstar that can play with anybody. So he, he's going to give get Kevin Love a lot of open shots. He's going to give Kyrie Irving a lot of open shots. Mike Miller is going to get a lot of open shots. And who knows, Ray Allen, reports are he's leaning towards going to the Cavaliers. So he's going to get a lot of open shots. And LeBron James is going to facilitate it all. So if you're Kevin Love, obviously, I know it's Cleveland, but you are coming from Minnesota. So I guess that really doesn't matter, even though you're a West Coast guy. But at the end of the day, the opportunity to play with LeBron James, opportunity that many would not pass up because he is the most unselfish superstar 
maybe in the history of the game, you could say second to Magic Johnson in terms of being one of the most unselfish superstars in this game, in the history of this game. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of Think Like a Man 2, in theaters, in theaters now, Gary Owen. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Okay. Hey, what up? That. It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you. And we're back. We're going to bring in a guy. This guy's funny. Very funny guy. <laughs> this guy will make you laugh. I mean, he's making a lot of people laugh. With Think Like a Man too, he made you laugh with Ride Along. And he's making a lot of people laugh right now because he's on, he's on tour. He's traveling the country, traveling the country. And he's out there, and he's making you laugh, making a lot of people laugh. And I think he's going to make you laugh during this interview. I think he's going to make you laugh. I think he's going to make you laugh. I think he's going to make you smile a little bit. And that's what you want out of comedians. You want to make you smile. Not only make you smile, but you definitely want to make, you want a comedian to make you laugh. And laugh and laugh and laugh. And that's always a great thing when it comes to a comedian, when it comes to comedy. Always a great thing. Now, one of the stars of Think Like a Man 2, actor, comedian, Gary Owen. Gary, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get right down to it. LeBron James, he signs with the Cavaliers. You're an Ohio guy. You're from Cincinnati, to be exact. Your thoughts on LeBron coming home? You know what? I think he knew, four years ago, he knew he did it all wrong. I think it was a brilliant PR move. I think deep down he always wanted to bring a title to Cleveland. And I don't think... And I don't think it's ever happened where a guy leaves a team and then comes back in his prime. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And then they got Mike Miller coming back. You know, they got, uh, I think, I don't has Ray Allen signed yet? Not yet. Not yet. Still working on that. They should. And I think they should, uh, this is me, they should pull the trigger and send Andrew Wiggins to Minnesota and get Kevin Love. So you because, like that deal. You're on, you're on board with Well, here's the thing. Look. LeBron's 29, about to turn 30. I was like, you want him playing in his prime with somebody else uh, on their way to their prime. You don't want to have to – they're always talking about building Andrew Wiggins. Nah, you've seen too many teams just try to build, 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 and then they never get a title. You got a chance to pull the trigger on something like that. Pull the trigger, man. <laughs> you're right. I mean, it, Rebuild it's later. difficult <laughs> for sure because you're talking about potential versus something that you know is – Pretty much a short thing in Kevin Love, a double-double machine. So I, I agree and, with and he's going to compliment LeBron's game so well. You know that. Right, for sure. And anybody, it, it, LeBron's one of those guys where he can play with pretty much anybody. He just he has that right. type of talent, that type of ability. But let well, me think ask about you this. this. I mean, think about, go ahead. Think about, think about Mike Miller and Kevin Love. Think about uh, Mike Miller, wide open, 
I mean, he's going he's gonna to average 40 45%. He's going to be wide open in Cleveland. Kevin Love, he averaged 20, over 25 and 10 on a terrible team. I think, can you imagine the open look he's going to get now in Cleveland? For sure. He's going to get a lot of good looks with LeBron James uh, facilitating. So, I mean, to be yeah, exact, you talk about you talk about Kevin Love, 26 and 12. So, I mean, that's, that's yeah. big time. That's, those are big time numbers for Kevin Love. So, I mean, it, it's almost, you almost have to do it. You hate to give up an Andrew Wiggins, but you almost have to do it. Yeah. I'd pull the trigger on you that. You really have a choice. Yep. See you, Andrew. Let me ask you this. Mary, Mary Chalmers asked a very logical question. Why would anybody go from Miami to Cleveland? Why would anybody go to Cleveland from Miami? Well, I, say this, I would say the same thing, and I said it in my act a couple of years ago. But there's something about, you know, your hometown and coming home. You know what I mean? And if you want to right. really – really think of the bigger picture and establish your legacy. Uh, you know, one title in Cleveland equals about five in Miami or anywhere else. <laughs> You're right. You know what I mean? And they, would I mean, appreciate, just, they, they appreciate LeBron James. Cle- I mean, Miami really didn't. Oh. I mean, those guys, those fans are coming in there at halftime. You see all those empty seats in that building. Yeah, yeah. Cleveland ain't like that. You know, LeBron's a married guy. You know what I mean? So that's why you leave Miami and go to Cleveland. Single, you don't do that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> what about Gary Owen? Does he go to Cincinnati? Does he live in Miami? What would he choose? Uh, I'm staying in Cincy. You know what I mean? Okay. I like okay. Miami and Dosu. Just like when we saw things like right. Man too. I was in we was in Vegas for two months. Way too long to be in Vegas. So all okay. the excitement was gone. When I when I think we wrapped, I was ready to get out of Vegas. And I haven't been back since. <laughs> I got I my see, Right, right. That makes sense. It makes sense. We're talking to actor, comedian Gary Owen, one of the stars of Thing Like a Man 2 in theaters. Now, let me ask you this. You're a Cincinnati guy, so obviously you're a Bengals fan. We all know the situation with the Cincinnati Bengals. Last three years, they got to the playoffs. The last three years, Andy Dalton has been god-awful in the playoffs. Can the Bengals win the yeah. Super Bowl with Andy Dalton? We can win it. You know what I mean? I always say don't compare him to Peyton and Eli. We'd be happy if he turns out to be a Mark Rippon. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just give us one title, Andy. Let Use those weapons around you, and, or Joe Flacco for that matter. You know what I mean? We can definitely do it. And what I love about this year, and, and I am that guy, I'm not even going to say, I drink the Kool-Aid every summer with the Bengals. So what I love, though, is they, I love how they just moved in Hugh Jackson to be the offensive coordinator. He said right off the bat, we're going to be running. So running backs, get ready, because you're going to need the ice tub. And he's going to kind of take <laughs> it out of Andy's hands, and he's telling Andy what I love about Hugh, that I think Jay Gruden was great for the team at the time, but sometimes I think he tried to outsmart himself. You got A.J. Green, you don't use him as a decoy. You go to him. That's what right. we did against Houston two years ago. I mean, even as a decoy the first half, you outsmarted yourself. For sure. So you Use believe in Andy guy. Dalton? You believe in Andy Dalton? What's that? You believe in I, Andy Dalton? I think Dalton. this is the year. Let me tell you something. This is the year. I believe in him okay. as far as, like, I think he's solid. Do I think he's Pro Bowl? Do I think he's an elite quarterback? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not but... I, I think it's very obvious that when we got behind last year against San, I say we like I'm on the team, 
But when they got behind last year, he, uh, he yeah, he pressed a little bit. He pressed, right. and that's when the interceptions came in the turnovers. And honestly, that, that game, on a couple of plays, it wasn't his fault. It turned on the G- when Giovanni uh, fumbled in the end zone. That was big. We was about to really take the momentum and, 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 and have a double-digit lead. And then uh, when A.J. dropped the ball, and you can't blame A.J. Green for anything because he's done so much. But when he dropped that ball that Andy really put right in the bread basket, um, that would have got us right back in the game. So, you know, every playoff game, it's two or three plays that turns the game around. And sure. those two stick out to me more than the other ones. Let me ask you this now. Thing like a man too in theaters. You've been hanging out with Kevin Hart a lot, man. I mean, you hanging out with him with Ride Along and everything. You tired of Kevin Hart? No. Here's the thing. I've known Kevin since '98. Um, okay. okay. And I always tell you the funny thing is, like when we're on set or we're just hanging out at, at private places, it's still just Kevin to me. And then it's when we go out though. And, you know, we're at Starbucks or Jamba Juice and people go crazy. I'm like, why am my tripping? It's just Kevin. <laughs> In my mind, I don't look at him like some huge star. It's just Kevin to me. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Because, um, you know, when I worked with Jamie Foxx or I worked with Eddie Murphy, I already looked at them like icons, like, oh, Jamie and Eddie. But with Kevin, I still look at him as just Kevin, you know, from 98. <laughs> So, it's, I mean, let me ask you this. It's funny. I mean, I look at you, man, and for whatever reason, black people love you. Black people really love Gary O. And Kevin Hart loves you. Everybody loves you. Well, why do black yeah. people gravitate to Gary O? Why, why do we gravitate towards you? Well, you know when I say my act, obviously my wife's black, my kids are mixed. So I have an insight to black people maybe a lot of white people don't have. And I think black people can pick up on if somebody's, trying to be a character on stage and that they're trying to pander to the audience. And with me, I'm just talking about my life experiences and my observations of the way black people and white people do stuff different. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Doesn't mean better or worse. It's just there's certain things that are different. It's no different than Latinos do stuff different, you know, and it's no different than the religions. Right. You know what I mean? You worship different gods and everything else. It's just, but I think black people pick up on that, you know, sure. and I'm not, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> You're sleeping with one every night, so you, you can't. Yeah. You definitely can't. You can, <laughs> I mean, what is it, though? What, what is it about you? I mean, like you said, you, your, your wife is African-American. I mean, you obviously you're in a lot of black films. I mean, uh, what made you gravitate towards black people? I didn't really grab. I would say you don't choose your audience, they choose you. And it's just okay. for whatever reason, when I first got to L.A., most of the stuff I've been on was black stuff. I mean, I've been in two sitcoms, The Wayans Brothers and House of Pain, both black sitcoms. First time anybody saw me on TV was on BET Comic View. So obviously the people watching that stuff on TV are, are black people. So obviously that's who's going to recognize me when I'm at the airport or the mall and stuff. And that's his mind right. thing. But I tell you, the last couple of years since these movies have come out, and, you know, my exposure's been a little more widespread. It's, it's, there's a lot more white people coming out. And i got to say with YouTube, YouTube right. now, you know, they just, and it, it's funny because I'll get comments like, why is all these black people paying to see a white dude? You know, like, <laughs> like it's an anomaly. You know what I mean? But it's no, it's right. no different than Wayne Brady. Wayne Brady? Right. <laughs> Wayne Brady's got all the white people. You know what I mean? Right, so I guess he, got, he has his market, you got yours. Everybody has their market, yeah. right? 
<laughs> we you have a market. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. <laughs> Let me answer this. I mean, Think Like a Man 2. You know, we had Think Like a Man, the original. Now you have Think Like a Man 2. A lot of people believe that, you know, the sequel is not really as good as the original. Is that the case with this particular film? Uh, no, you know, this film, I think it stands alone by itself. Like, uh, you know, the first one was all about the book and everyone meeting each other. And I just think the second one is more of an extension of the first one. You're just getting to see what happened to these characters two years later. Um, and, you know, some of them are married and someone's about to get married. I'm still happily married in the movie. So that's what I think people like the first one so much was the characters. It was a character driven. It wasn't special effects. It wasn't killing. It wasn't some killer storyline at the end. It wasn't the sixth sense. You know what I mean? It was just right. people like the characters. And with the second one, they get to explore those characters even further. So basically, you, you, you feel like it's just more exploring the characters, and, that, and that's actually great. That's better. Yeah, it's just an extension. It's like, it's just, you know, you could watch this movie, you could watch both movies back to back, and you feel like you just watched one whole movie. <laughs> We're talking to actor, comedian Gary Owen. And, Gary, you're acting, you're on the road with your comedy. I mean, how is that grind? That's, I mean, it's got to be a rough grind for you. The, the travel is the hardest part. I tell people the, the, the stage time's easy. I wouldn't say the acting is easy, but the, the, the hardest part is, you know, uh, the travel, getting up early on the planes and stuff like that. That's right. the hardest part. Because people don't see that side of it. Or like like Saturday. I'll say Saturday, for instance. It was mine and my wife's anniversary. And I had to get up at 5 a.m. I was in Sacramento. I got up at 5 a.m. I met her in San Diego because that's our favorite city. We go there. We have breakfast. We hang out at, on the beach for a little bit. And then I had to fly up about 4 o'clock to get back to Sacramento to go to my show where she stayed. And I got to my hotel. It was like 6 o'clock. So I had about an hour to relax, where I could just sit in my room, not have to do anything. And I had a couple guys, you know, can I get a picture? And then they want to have a long conversation. And I cut it short, and I felt like they felt I cut it short, but I just had to, I had to rest. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, sometimes people, sure. don't see, people don't see that side of it. So there's probably two guys in Sacramento, like, Gary Owen's kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like, now Gary Owen just needed a nap. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Well, let's go back to basketball for a moment now. Cavaliers, as we said, LeBron James is back in Cleveland. When it's all said and done, if I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens with the Kevin Love trade and everything. Do you see the Cavaliers winning an NBA title next season? Uh, I don't think it'll be next season. I don't think it ever happens when you first go. Remember when Shaq first got to the Heat? It didn't happen. They lost to the Pistons. Right. When LeBron first got to Miami, it didn't happen. When, when, yeah, when Shaq first got to the Lakers, it didn't happen. Sure. Um, I don't think it ever happens their first year. But, you know, next year, I think next year, realistic goals for the Cavaliers is, you know, I think making it to the playoffs is for sure. Um, then winning a series is probably going to happen, and then after that, it's, it's a crapshoot. The, the best thing about LeBron being in Cleveland is the East is so wide open now. Because people sure. are counting Miami out like they, they stink. They still got a squad. They do. They do. For the East. And the West, I wouldn't say, but the East, they still got a hellified chance to make it. How's that change for you? I mean, are you still a little bit of a Miami Heat fan? 
I always. I know you're a big LeBron guy. Yeah, yeah, LeBron and and, and Dwayne and Gabby and uh, everybody, you know, because they're getting married in a couple weeks. Okay, are you going to be there for that? Yeah, yeah, you'll be there. Okay, so you'll be in the building for that. Take some pictures. (laughs) We're no cameras. Okay, all right. Sneak it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not going to risk it. Okay, all right, fair enough. Now, (laughs) obviously, you have Think Like a Man too. What else is going on with Gary Owen? Uh, right now, just on the road. We're we're uh, we're shopping my new hour special right now. Most likely, okay. it's going to be on Showtime. We're just trying to figure out a date that we can get it to air because I did this one myself. So I had a little more say. And then, um, you know, I have I've, I've learned a long time ago never talk about a movie coming out until you have a, a definite release date because those can change. Okay. The first movie I ever did was with Jamie Foxx, and it, we shot it, and, and it didn't come out for two years later, and I kept telling people, I got this movie coming out with Jamie Foxx. And then I go to the city, like, dude, you said that last year. But like, oh, yeah, it came out <laughs> in Germany. Your releases. So I filmed a couple of things, but there's no release dates yet, so I can't even really okay. say nothing about it. For sure. We'll see what happens. Fans, this guy will be in Texas. He will be at the Improv in Addison, Texas, July 24th to the 27th. Also, he will be at the Houston Improv July 31st to August 3rd. If you're in those areas, support all the great things going on with Gary Owen. Also, hit him up on Twitter at Gary Owen Comedy. you got a website as well, right? Yeah, it's just GaryOwen.com. Hit him up on GaryOwen.com as well and support all the great things going on with Gary Owen. Gary, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the okay. best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. Thanks, man. I'll call you once the Bengals in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't think you'll be calling me then. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. All right. Take care. Gary Owen, one of the stars. Think like a man, too. Support all the great things going on with Gary Owen. Funny guy. Absolute funny guy. So, again, make sure you support all the great things going on with Gary Owen. Funny guy. You know, and, and you know, he said he's going to call back when Cincinnati Bengals win a Super Bowl. I guess he won't be calling back anytime soon. Cincinnati Bengals will not be winning a Super Bowl anytime soon. It probably won't happen this year. I, I just look at it with the Bengals, and I just have my questions about Andy Dalton. I have my questions about him, whether or not he can be a, a superstar, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. I mean, the last three years, the last three years, he's been awful. He's been absolutely awful in the playoffs. And I know at some point, I know at some point, he's going to have to step it up especially not only for him as, you know, his career. I mean, especially, you know, not only for the Bengals in terms of them wanting to win a Super Bowl, but in terms of him and prolonging his career and and being able to make the type of money that I'm sure he wants to make. I'm sure he wants to make. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Cincinnati Bengals, but Gary Owen – 
confident in his belief that the Cincinnati Bengals can win a Super Bowl. I don't know see, I don't know if that's him, you know, with his Cincinnati Bengals underwear and a Cincinnati Bengals T-shirt. I don't know if that's the case here. I don't know if that's what's going on here, but I, I do know that it's going to be difficult. But here's the thing. I had the Bengals winning last year. I thought I was under the same mindset, same belief, same opinion that maybe this was the year that Andy Dalton would finally turn around in the playoffs. It did not happen. The second hour will go for it starts right now. Welcome to go for it, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but I just don't see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get nah. your, your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. Hour, go for it. Start it right now in this hour. Expected to be joined by Memphis Grizzly guard Vince Carter. He's going to be joining us in this hour. So it should be fun. We're going to continue to talk sports and have fun doing it. Let's go to college now. Interesting comments by Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby. Interesting comments. He pretty much said, he pretty much said that there's a lot of cheating, and that cheating pays in college football. Cheating pays in college football. Enforcement is broken. No infractions committee meetings in over a year. Right now, if you want to cheat, you can get away with it, and that needs to change. It's out there, according to Bowlesby. But did it have to be said? I mean, did it have to be said? Did it have to be said? I mean, we all know that cheating 
is rampant in college sports. We all know it. We all know it's rampant in college sports. So it's not surprising when we hear about it. Not surprising whatsoever. None. We'll talk about some more when we come back. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... I just don't see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. <laughs> We've seen what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around, too. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. <laughs> That's not Rocky. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thank- very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back. We're going to be joined by a guy now. Signed last week, two weeks ago, with the Memphis Grizzlies. Played last year with the Dallas Mavericks since Carter. Had a very good season. Made a lot of good shots, big-time shots for the Dallas Mavericks. Who could forget NBA playoffs first round against San Antonio Spurs, that corner three. So he definitely has made some shots with the Dallas Mavericks, and he's looking to make some shots with the Memphis Grizzlies and ultimately, hopefully, for him, put the Memphis Grizzlies over the top. Let's bring him in now. Memphis Grizzlies guard, Vince Carter. Vince, how hey, are you? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, I'm great, man. Thanks How's everything? Oh, everything no problem, is great. No everything is great. Vince, you signed with the Grizzlies. Three years, $12 million. Why Memphis? Uh, just a great opportunity. Uh, the situation was right. The timing was right. Um, you know, more than anything, you know, people like, oh, hey, he's leaving for the money. No, it's just the situation and, and timing. You know, it's all about timing uh, in, in, in life in general. And I think it was just, just the right time. Uh, right timing and the right situation at the moment. Now, Mark Cuban said that he wanted to resign you, but the offer that he could make to you changed in terms of bringing you back yeah. to the Dallas Mavericks. What happened with you and the Mavericks? Uh, I mean, just like I said, I mean, they were pursuing uh, other guys, and, uh, I mean, of course, they had the the, the the nice offer on the table for, for Chandler, and right. it was kind of like a, had to, a waiting process for me and it was like, okay, uh, and that's, that's something I wanted to do. I mean, I definitely wanted to go back. Uh, everybody knew that. They knew that. Uh, I think it was mutual both ways. It's just there again. It was just a timing issue um, as far as me having to, to wait to see what happens. And then, you know, Memphis coming along, really stressing, uh, stressing their interest and, and wanting me to be a part of their team. So I was like, hey, had a great conversation with everybody, and I was like, um, uh, let's do it. You know, I talked with my family. Everybody felt comfortable <laughs> right. with the situation, and it just sounded right, and it felt right, so I had to do it. You, you talked about timing. If Let's just say the timing was a little different. Do you think you would have returned to the Mavericks? Oh, uh, uh, more than likely. Um, you know, you never know. Uh, but I, like I said, I throughout the summer, I mean, it's all uh, – I hadn't talked to any other teams or thought about it because I just pretty much right. knew 
um, that's probably where I would end up. And uh, I think at the end of the day, well, once free agency hits, you know, that's when teams are allowed to call. And, and then that's when you kind of hear, like, other teams' interests. I was like, wow, where is this coming from? You know, it's just a whole <laughs> a lot of options out there. I mean, it, it was a lot of teams and a lot of situations, and I had a lot to think about, which I was very thankful for, you know, at my age. And, and there's not a, many of us left. <laughs> right. And to, right. to, to, to really receive phone calls and – team showing interest it was a great feeling and you know to me I, I think I feel every time I step on the court I'm representing the guys you know who are around my age like Grant Hill I, I speak with Grant all the time he's like he's living through us older guys now so you know <laughs> I, I feel like it was a great opportunity and like I said I, I I wanted to make the right decision I took my time but at the same time uh, you know just couldn't pass on uh, a great opportunity. We're talking to Grizzlies guard Vince Carter. Vince Let's look at the Memphis Grizzlies now. This is a team, 50-plus win team over the last two seasons. Obviously, they have size, but some of the needs of the Memphis Grizzlies are wing players. They need wing players, and you're a guy that may fit the bill. Do you feel like you can put the Grizzlies over the top? Uh, I think the opportunity is there, to put, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take on the challenge. Um, you know, I look at what they have already. I mean, they, they've very successful team. Um, I'm a big fan of um, of Courtney, I know him very well. Uh, we live out here; in, he lives out here in the Florida area. So, uh, and of course, Mike Conley, I've always been a fan of, and you know, we've had many, many battles with them. And I'm just glad that they felt like I can help that team kind of get over the hump. I mean, I think they're they're playoff ready. Um, it's been proven. You know, we know how, what they can do. So, once you know, I get into camp and just just learn the system, learn the mentality. And just bring who I am to the table. I think you know it's a great opportunity. So uh, I'm excited. What about in terms of roles? Do you know what role you may have with the Grizzlies? Are you going to come off the bench like you did in Dallas? Is there a possibility that you could be a starter? You know what we uh, something we haven't talked about really. I think it's just okay. Whatever. I mean, I sat and, and, and talked with them before they even that hasn't even been mentioned. I just said to them like I told you know. Coach Carlisle, day one, I am just want to do for my team. Whatever they need me to do for the team, I will do, whether that's right. start, come off the bench, or whatever. I just know when it's my time to get out there on the floor, I need to be productive and, and do for my team, and that's just what I want to do. So whatever that entails, I'm all for it. Now, Vince, one thing that I was surprised by by you and, and kind of shocked, and a lot of people would be shocked by this, but you rank seventh in terms of three-point shooting. You're seventh in the all-time. Now, do you think that part of your game is underrated? Do you think people underrate that part of your game, your shooting ability? Well, I guess it's, I guess it seems so because everybody's shocked. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was shocked to know where I rank in history. You know, that's I, I, not something I really look at as far as like my ranking in history. I just lay the groundwork and, and let the rest speak for itself. And to kind of hear, you know, seventh all time. I'm like not seventh in current players. We talking about all time. It's just an unbelievable feeling and to to know I mean we're talking about like the Ray Allens of the world the Reggie Miller right. Jay Kidd uh, Jet Terry I mean there's so many great three point shooters Del Curry's the, the, the Curry family <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> in general I mean there's so many great shooters um, three point shooters so I'm just I, I had no idea I think Del Ellis is in that uh, category somewhere so I mean this to be a, named with those kind of guys when everybody all, you know always talked about my dunks, but yet here I am, right. 
top ten all time in three point shooting. It's it's a it's an honor, you know. It just makes me go and work on my three point shooting some more. <laughs> <laughs> now, Vince, at the end of this deal with the Grizzlies, you would be forty years old. Do you really? look at no, this at this deal at your as your last contract? Is this the last contract for Vince Carter? Uh, who knows? Who knows? I, I mean, it probably could be, uh, but at the same time, you know, I just take it year by year, and I just accomplish the goal of the year, and that's to stay healthy, uh, play the most games on my team, being the oldest guy. That, that's the goals that I set for myself, and um, that's what I'm going to continue to do is just go year by year, regardless of what the contract says. Uh, I'm going to accomplish the goals of the year, and, you know, who knows? I'm, maybe I can play – over 40, I don't know. It's the mornings that's tough. <laughs> and you look at it, I mean, at the end of this deal, you'll have 19 years in this league. Right. I mean, you got to go 20. you got to go one more. you got to do 20. Like I said, it's the mornings that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 for some reason, when I, when I was a youngster and I, and I was um, drafted into the league, I just wanted to play. I said, hey, playing 15 years would be phenomenal. I've accomplished right. that goal and, and still kicking, still able to play at a high level. So uh, we'll see what happens at, at 40. I want to go back to you and the Mavericks now. Let me ask you this. You guys played the San Antonio Spurs, lost in, the, in game seven against the Spurs. Looking back yeah. on that series, you hit a big shot in that series. Looking back on that series, do you feel like you guys should have won that series and you let one get slip away? We knew what we were in for. In for Game Seven. Uh, well, let's let's go back. We knew what we were in for, for in the series in general. We knew we didn't have, we weren't we weren't going to be given a shot. I'm sure everybody thought we were going to get swept. Hey, but in our minds, we felt we can compete with anybody. Now, if we could put it together, anything is possible. That's why you you work so hard to get to the playoffs for another opportunity. It's a clean slate. It's it's. The series is zero zero, and you play it to the end. And uh, I think that's kind of that was our approach: just play it to the end, see what happens. I mean, and we knew. I mean, I think it was easy for us to really step into the playoffs because we don't have to. We didn't have to worry about people saying, "Oh, it's possible the Mavs can sweep or beat the the Spurs." You know, I don't think anybody was giving us a chance. So it was just really easy to go out there and just play basketball. And I think that's what we did. Everybody stuck to the game plan. Everybody was all in. And we just did what we had to do, and we just ran into a tough, tough uh, San Antonio Spurs again in Game 7. I mean, sure. we knew they'd been there before, uh, just like we've been there before, but that team's been around a long time together as it one, as that unit uh, in Game 7. So we we were expect, we knew what to expect, but they just hit us first, and, and the rest is history. Now, you look at it, ultimately, you want to win an NBA title. That's what you play the game for. But if it doesn't happen, how disappointing will that be for you? I mean, it's always disappointing because that's the, the thrill and the goal and that dream of just being in that moment is what it's all about. I mean, you you, you see the commercials and all these guys who's wearing the, the, the championship uh, hat and shirt and then holding up that trophy. Uh, that's what it's all about. Um, I just, you know, that's why I play the, play the game. and That's why I still love it. For that opportunity, and I've been given the opportunity, um, so it's kind of hard to, to say how I will feel. Um, I guess that's the question that that's the question when you when I'm done. Hopefully at 41, 
uh, <laughs> I, I can answer that. And hopefully by in between the time, I would have won at least one. We're talking to Grizzlies guard Vince Carter. Vince, 1999 slam dunk contest, probably the greatest dunking performance of all time. There's Jordan, oh, there's so Dr. Ago, J. It was a long time ago, but it was a great, great performance. Thanks. Let me ask you this. Do you consider yourself the greatest dunker in NBA history? It's hard for me to sit there and say I am because I am a true fan of the game and I studied it. And I think watching it and studying it and just repeatedly watching it and waiting for my moment, that's all I really wanted. And I think the rest, I'll let you guys handle that. And I said I wanted to leave it all on the floor. All-Star Saturday night, and be able to walk away saying, hey, I gave them the show that I wanted and I, I, I was always dreaming of, and I think I did that. And, uh, I mean, for for me, to, I took a chance that night, you know, and I, and I had a, a, a routine and a couple of dunks that I wanted to do, and last minute I changed out into what you actually, what actually happened. And I took a chance. Okay. I took a risk because I I had practiced some of those, and some of them I I just made up that night, and it happened to work out for me. So I was like, luck was on my side, and I'm done with it. <laughs> it's all good. But <laughs> you, it, it was a it was a memorable moment. And I, like I said, I wanted to wow the crowd. And like the, the, for instance, the arm in the rim, I wanted to leave everybody speechless, and it you worked did. out. So I mean, <laughs> and I never tried that. I made that up that night. Like I was like, let's okay. try it. <laughs> you know. So. Okay. Uh, you know, greatest of all time, I'll just say I know it's probably the top three and, and most entertaining. And I think okay. when I watch it, I still shake my head like, what the heck was I thinking, man, uh, you know, right. doing some of this stuff. If they, if you only knew the behind-the-scenes stuff, like, you know, I just I look at it sometimes. I'm like, I remember what I was thinking. He was like, okay, if I can pull this off, this is going to shock the world, you know, and, and that's that's what I was really going for, just shocking the world and, you know, I think that's what people enjoyed about it. It's like on that stage, uh, you know, doing that type of stuff is just is great. I mean, it's fun, and then I think that's what people enjoyed it. So, but it's hard to say. Now, you know, it's hard to, to come out here and say, "Hey, you know, I'm the greatest all-time dunker over what Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins used to do." Man, it's just right. it's just tough to, to for that to come out of my mouth when I respected those guys and I repeatedly. And I do mean repeatedly watch those guys. I had v, that's how old I am. I had VHS, VHS tapes and used to watch them over and over and over, just studying, like trying to pick their brain from a far away. Like, what are they thinking when they did this stuff? That's that's how I approached it. So it's just hard for me to say that. Now you've dunked on many people. You've had a lot of amazing in-game dunks. Do you have a favorite in-game dunk? Whew, man. Um. Hmm. I, I no. I know the ones. Of course, you know the ones that I've heard a lot. Uh, you know, the Lonzo and uh, yeah, my rookie year against uh, at Indiana. Um, the lob dunk from D Brown at the Clippers when I was in Toronto. I mean, there's a few that I can name all. The Olympic, <laughs> but the Olympic, oh, of course, the Olympic. You know that they talked about. Um. First time I did the reverse 360 in the in the in the game, which a lot of people don't talk about, but that was I think you know that was one of the ones that there again, on a fast break. In in 
less than a second having to decide and just pulling off something. You know, at that time, I didn't really care. I, I was willing to try anything. You know, when you're young and vibrant, you don't really care. You're sure. like, hey, I'll try it. I did it in the game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> friends are like, I bet you want to do a reverse 360 in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> I bet you I will. <laughs> you know, so for me, that was like stuff like that. You know, I, of course, the Alonzo Morning Dunk and the, um, the Olympic Dunk and all the other ones I named are – you know, frequently I'm frequently asked about or, or is always talked about, but that reverse 360 the first time. Uh, I, I remember who we played against. We were okay. playing against Cleveland. T-Mac threw me the ball in the transition. I did the reverse 360 in Toronto against Cleveland. I mean, it's just that was one of the one, moments for me. Um, you know, uh, also, uh, what's all um, um, the uh, the Kembe Mutombo, my rookie year, was talked about was a lot. So, mm-hmm. But see, it's like dunking on big men. Like that, the greatest, the greatest shot blockers of all time, in my opinion, like the uh, Patrick Ewing, uh, uh, had the opportunity to, to bless um, <laughs> Alonzo. Um, of course, we know that. Um, Elijah Wan, these guys, like, I look up to these guys and, you know, I always watch, like, man, if I got that opportunity, boy, that would be the greatest feeling ever. And I, David Robinson, you know, those are people that, you know, as far as shot blockers, I was like, yo, if I can dunk on these guys, I just dunked on the best ever. So, Right. I look at it a little different than everybody else because it's like personal goals that I was able to accomplish. Okay. You know, and of course, Alonzo was one of them. So <laughs> that was a nice one. That was one of the better ones. Let me ask you this: Could you do that uh, uh, reverse three sixty now? <laughs> I could do it, but it probably won't look the same. I, I probably do okay. nineteen thousand. Like I said, backstory on that. When I tried that dunk in practicing, I was practicing that dunk. I could barely make that dunk, and for some reason, got that uh, got to the, to that arena in Oakland that night. Saw all those people, and I said, "Hey, I want to pull it out again." And I, you would think that I, I was doing that dunk on a regular with ease, and I, I just took a, a chance on on something that I was struggling with, and it turned out like it is. So uh, if I did it, it wouldn't look pretty. Okay, all right. We're talking to Grizzlies guard Vince Carter. And Vince, right now you're 27th all-time in scoring in NBA history, eight-time All-Star. When it's all said and done, and obviously you've got three years left, but do you see yourself as a Hall of Famer? I'm going to leave it up to I still have work to do. Okay. I still have work to do. So, okay. um, I mean, we have the guarantee Hall of Famers in, in this game, you know, Kobe, um, AI. You know, I'm talking about, mm-hmm. I, I just named some of the older guys. I know, you know, there's the LeBrons and all that. I think that are given as well. But I'm just talking about the guys who are nearing their, in, their NBA careers, uh, the end of them. Um, so I, I just, I feel like I have work to do. I just want that opportunity to at least play in the, the NBA Finals, and you know, and it makes sense. I mean, I, I've, I've accomplished a lot. I've done a lot, and, and maybe it's enough. But in my mind, I just, I'm gonna wait till I finish playing. I gotta, I gotta say, KG as well. KG's been around a long time. Okay. For sure, Paul Pierce. I think been around. He, he's guaranteed my my mind. So, I, uh, I, I at the end of the day, I hope it's enough. Uh, right. And if it's not, I can live. I can live with not being considered a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, because I tell you what, basketball has has done a lot for me. Has shown me a lot. Has introduced me to a lot of people and a lot, a lot of opportunities. So, you know, I, I know it's all based on, you know how many points you scored and all that, but I think I've accomplished a lot and, and have gained a lot from the game of basketball, which is never talked about. Um, and it's just I, I, I've, I'm always appreciative of my opportunity 
first of all, to play this many years and still have the opportunity to play. So sure. hopefully it's, uh, it's enough, you know. We'll see. And you brought up Allen Iverson, and, you know, I, I'm a lifelong 76ers fan, so I, I look back oh, okay. at that so 2001 you recall the battle series. in 2001, then. I, I do, I do. That was a special <laughs> battle. I, I mean, yes. you guys scared me, man. You had that baseline jumper. I thought it was over. I couldn't even watch that shot in Game Seven. Oh, I didn't man. even watch that shot. I didn't watch it. Let me I couldn't you. watch it. I, was, I, 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 I thought, thought it was good sure. on the release. Yeah, it felt good until halfway. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I hate to say this to you, but I'm glad you missed it. I, I uh, of course, of thing. course. Hey, I can handle it. I can handle it. That was that was a that was a special series. I mean, you know, just going back and forth with AI. Did it almost like, yo, I, I got to get fifty points in this game. This guy's getting fifty. I got to get fifty. Was, was it almost like that in the back of your head? I mean, it wasn't like that. But I, it was like I got to step my game up, you know, to to because we're trying to win the series. I mean, we felt we felt like in our locker room, the winner of this series had a great opportunity of getting to the finals. Of course, you had to go right. through um, uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. And who's to say yeah. that if we beat, if I make that shot, we we do beat Milwaukee and we go to play the Lakers. Who knows? But at the same time, we felt that we had an opportunity, a great opportunity. We would match up as well, match up well with them as well. Um, but it was just like, man, I got to step it up. Game one, you know, he goes crazy. And, and I just had to respond and do my thing. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going for 50 and, and go outside of the flow of the offense and what's gotten us to that point. But I knew when I when my opportunity, when the opportunities were there, you know, I had to take advantage of it. I mean, it, was just, it, it wasn't easy, believe, believe me, because Eric Snow uh, is, is, a, is a pest. And it, it was tough. And <laughs> yeah. it, it took a lot. I had to watch a lot of film uh, on figuring out how to get – easy shots, easy baskets, because, I mean, he just was a strong, smart defender, you know, and kind of once I kind of figured him out and got and got in the groove, you know, it's just tough. It was tough, you know I mean? I just felt unstoppable. Even when the nights that I didn't play well, it felt like I was in my rhythm. Right. And, and it, the thing about and that as I theory, say that, as you know, Eric Snow had a great game seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I look at that series and, you know, I wanted to play the New York Knicks because I knew throughout the course of that series, not that season, I should say, that the Raptors really matched up well against the Sixers. You guys were a little yeah. more athletic than the Sixers, and I think your athleticism bothered the Sixers, and it showed in the series. I mean, it was a close series. Very I, Actually, I look at it, I mean, you look at game two in AI, I think he had 54 in game two. You yeah, look at game two, like that, yeah. if he, do, he needed every – point in that particular game in order for the Sixers to win it. Yeah, so, I said, yeah, I definitely I mean, it wasn't game two because won we won. It. Yeah, we stole game one, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he went, he went crazy game two. Um, and I tell you what, the, the, the role guys, and you go through the series, and the, the NBA playoffs, the playoffs are all about adjustments. And we knew they were going to adjust and everything. So game seven, we just wanted to kind of, if we're going to lose, we're going to lose somebody else. You know, we knew AI was going to get his shots and he's going to put the ball up, but we didn't think he was going to go out there and get ten dimes. And Jermaine <laughs> Jones, if you recall, yeah. was yeah. hitting all these corner threes that that killed us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Snow hitting some some mid range jump shots. I mean, we just had to. Of course, we were trying to double team and 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 slow him down. And he's so darn fast, and he was just making the right play. And those guys were knocking down shots, and we had to live with it. 
and uh, it got down to one one darn shot. <laughs> it, it was. I, I thought you had it. I really actually I didn't see it. I, I, I stepped away as I said, but when I came back and saw the replay, I thought, wow, that that looked good off his hand, and you know, well, you know, it's, it felt good. It is what it is at this point. But it, it, that was a special, special series, and you guys really went back and forth. Allen Iverson, Vince Carter, great series. We're talking to Memphis Grizzlies guard Vince Carter. And, Vince, you're doing some big things in the community with the Embassy of Hope Foundation. Tell us about it. Uh, I mean, I started that. That was the first thing I actually started before I bought any car, any piece of jewelry, any house, anything. I started my foundation. It's something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, and, and I enjoy doing for kids. I enjoy helping kids learn about themselves and learn how to choose their path in life, in life, and it's all about believing in their dreams and understanding how to go about it once you, you know, you kind of figure out who you want to be, and uh, we've, it's, it's been great for us, I, I mean, just through the basketball camps, through our gala, um, golf tournaments, just have met some unbelievable people and have learned a lot about, you know, not only myself, and but uh, others, and how, how they go about life, and I'm just happy that I'm able to, you know, to provide through the foundation, uh, college scholarships and opportunity for kids to kind of b- fulfill their dreams, whatever it may be. For sure. And fans, make sure you support some of the great things going on with Vince Carter's Embassy of Hope Foundation. Make sure you go to his website, VinceCarter15.com. Make sure you also hit this guy up on Twitter at MrVinceCarter15 and support all the great things going on with Vince Carter. Vince, pleasure talking yes, to you, man. Sir. Wish Thank you, you man. Thanks for having me, man. Luck. Let's hey, do it again. You guys had my buddy uh, Gary Owen on, huh? You did. We did. We did. That's my guy. Funny guy, man. <laughs> funny guy. Funny guy. Very funny guy. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about this. Black people love Gary Owen. <laughs> oh, man. And he loves black people. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. He definitely does. He definitely does. He's yeah. got, his wife is black. I don't know if you knew yep. that. Yeah, I do. That's that's why I said it. Uh, a great family. I mean, I've gotten the opportunity to meet the family and meet him and hang out with them before. So, uh, yeah, great guy, man. <laughs> appreciate it, Vince. All right, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Take care. Absolutely. No doubt. All right, brother. Vince Carter, guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Pleasure talking to Vince Carter. I mean, I, I looked at – and just talking to him is interesting. I mean, we we went down memory lane. We went back, and I look at that 2001 series, Allen Iverson, Vince Carter, back and forth. They, they were dueling, back and forth. Grizz, uh, not Grizzlies, Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers. That was an amazing series. That was an amazing series, and I, it was funny. I mean, they just went back and forth. You know. Big time shots after big time shots, big time performances after big time performances, and I, I look back on it as a Sixers fan, and, and I told the story to Vince. I didn't watch that last shot. I couldn't watch that last shot because if the Sixers were to lose, were to lose that game, ultimately they would lose that series. Ultimately they would have been knocked out of the playoffs, and that year was so much so special. I mean, they won fifty six. They won fifty six times. 56 wins for the Philadelphia 76ers that year. Number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Allen Iverson, MVP. Aaron McKee, sixth man of the year. Dikembe Mutombo, defensive player of the year. Larry Brown, coach of the year. I mean, it was special. 
It was absolutely special. That was a special year. I could not stomach and see that season go down in flames in that particular game. So i got to be honest, I did not watch that shot live. I did not watch that shot live. I didn't. I did not watch that shot live. Couldn't do it. I could not do it. And, and so it was, it was fun just reliving that series and looking back on that series. The Raptors actually just, they, they matched up well against the Sixers. And it, it, it really was the perfect matchup for the Raptors because of their athleticism. You remember that Philadelphia 76er team wasn't very athletic, wasn't as athletic. I mean, you know, Theo Ratliff, before they made the trade to bring it to Kemby Mutombo, Theo Ratliff actually made them a lot more athletic. And then you had, um, I remember George Carl saying this for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, he was more scared of Sixers when they had Ratliff in comparison to when they had Dikembe Mutombo. He was more afraid of the Sixers when they had Ratliff. And I should actually ask Vince this, but I look at that Sixer team and I always thought that Sixer team was better with Ratliff than Mutombo. Because here's the thing. I, I know Dikembe had some moments in that playoff run, but also look at it this way. Look at it this way. Against the Lakers, Matumbo did play well against Shaq, but here's the thing. Shaq still averaged, I believe, 30 and 15, maybe 33 and 15. It was some kind of crazy numbers. But Shaq was incredible in that series. So the point I'm trying to make is you were not stopping Shaq at that point in time. Shaq was on something else. So he was on another level at that point. He was the most dominant big man in the game at that point in time of his career. Shaq was. I mean, Shaq was ridiculous during that time of his career. He was an unstoppable force. He was the most dominant player in the game. So you weren't stopping Shaq with Ratliff, with Matumbo, with anybody. And if you remember, Kevin Matumbo was the best defensive center at that point in time. He was the best defensive center at that point in time. The best. So he couldn't even stop Shaq. So if he couldn't stop Shaq, then... Who's to say that Matumbo could, I mean, Ratliff, I mean, Matumbo couldn't stop him, so how was Ratliff going to stop him? But the point I'm trying to make is Ratliff was more athletic, the team was more athletic. You also remember they had Tony Kukoc as, as well, another guy that they could put in and, and, and score the basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers. But just reliving that moment with Vince Carter and just looking, I mean, I have to, and I know, you know, I'm kind of going off on a little tangent here, but. The 2001 76ers are my favorite team in any sport of all time. All time. There was something about that team. There was something about that team. That team was special. That was a special team for me. Allen Iverson and the heart that he played with. I mean, the, the guy, you know, six foot nothing, 160 nothing. I mean, the guy was, was, was special. He was special. And, and, you know, you, you love what he brought to the table. You love the points that he scored. You loved everything about Allen Iverson. He wore his heart. You, you saw his heart. You could see the heartbeat. You saw the heartbeat. You saw number three. You saw that Sixer logo, and then you saw his heart right next to it, beating. You saw his heartbeat. You saw his intensity. You saw his, 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 his will his desire 
You saw that when you looked at Allen Iverson. And that's one of the reasons I love that team. Forever loved that team. So there was no way I could watch Vince Carter shoot that baseline jumper. There's no way I could watch. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. No way I could watch it. But it was an amazing shot. Excuse me, well, he missed it, but it seemed like he was going to make it. When I look at the replay, it seemed like he was going to make it. Because Vince, Vince was one of those guys who made those type jump shots, those jump shots like turning away. He was one of those type of guys who made those type of shots. So the, the shot that he missed was a shot that he's made many, many times throughout his illustrious career, many times. But that was a, that was a special series, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember it like it was yesterday, but, wow, it was, it was, it was, it was good going back down memory lane with Vince Carter and, and, and just thinking about the Philadelphia 76ers and the 2001 76ers. And, you know, I can go on for days talking about that team. I, I really could. I can go on for days talking about it. I won't, but I, I can. We got what? We got what? 23 minutes left in the show? I could finish this whole show 23 minutes left. The final 23 minutes, I could talk about the 2000-2001 Philadelphia 76ers and won't even skip a beat. I could definitely talk about this team, for sure. I love this team. Greatest team that I ever watched, in my opinion. The greatest team I ever loved. I mean, it's, it's just obviously not the greatest team you ever watched because they didn't win a title, but I love them. So, you know, the, the, I love Philadelphia 76ers, 2000-2001 Philadelphia 76ers. I love them. But let's go back college football, college sports in general, you know, interesting comments by Bob Bowlesby, a Big 12 commissioner, talking about cheating is rampant in college sports. And here's the thing. I look at him talking about that, and then I look at a study. I look at a study by the National College Players Association. Also, they did this study in conjunction with Drexel University. So I look at this study, and when I look at this study, it says to me and it speaks to me and it tells me, well, now you see why cheating is rampant. Now you understand why people cheat. And, and not necessarily the, 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 the schools itself, but, you know, the players. You understand why they do some of the things that they do and take some of the illegal benefits that they take. You understand it. You understand why they do some of the things that they do. Here's the thing. According to this study, the average scholarship, average full scholarship for an athlete, will fall short $3,000. So the scholarship covers everything but about $3,000. So there's $3,000 $3, has to come out of the pocket of the player and his family. Well, if you've got a kid who's poor, Coming from a, a, a poor background, $3,000 coming out of his household from his mom and his daddy's household is a lot. That's a lot of money. $3,000 is a lot of money when you're broke. $3,000 is a lot of money when you're not broke. But $3,000 is a lot of money when you're broke. A lot of money. So players now have to come up with that. So when you think about it, think about the amount of hours they put in. I mean, they put a lot of hours, a lot of hours. You know, according to the study, 
about 40 to 50 hours. They put a lot of hours in. They can't have a full-time job. They can't have a full-time job. And according to the study, 85% of the players living on campus and 86% of the players living off campus are living below the federal poverty line. So they're struggling. The coaches are making a lot of money. Coaches are making a whole heck of a lot of money. The universities are making money. The NCAA is making money. Everybody's making money except for who? The player. The, 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 the guy that goes out there each and every Saturday and puts his body on the line. They put their bodies on the line. A lot of football, there's a lot of college football players out here struggling, having health issues. I mean, we all know the toll that football takes on the body. We all know the pounding that it takes on the body. We all know that. We know that. So I look at it this way. I look at it this way. To me, you see why these players take some of the things that they do and, and do some of the things that get them in trouble with the NCAA. You see why. You understand why. It makes sense. If you're poor and your parents, your, your parents are worried about keeping the lights on, keeping a roof over their heads, putting clothes and keeping clothes on their backs and their, their, their siblings' backs, their children's backs, their other children's backs. Worried about putting food on the table. If you are poor and you have to come out of your pocket $3,000, that's a big, big time hit. And then you also look at it, looking at this study from this standpoint. According to this study, the fair market value of, a, of the average FBS football and basketball player was 121,000 and 285,000 respectively. So football 121,000, basketball 265,000. That's a lot of money. And basically, that's what they're saying they're worth. Now hey, I don't have all the answers in terms of of of, play, of paying college players. I don't know how you go about it. I don't, I, I'm not that smart. But there has to be something in place that would, would help offset that $3,000 shortfall that these players have to deal with. It's not like they can get a full-time job. Can't work. So you look at it. These guys, these players, they got to find a way to come up with $3,000. It ain't easy. And they can't have a job. And they got to work all these hours. They got to practice and be on the football field and travel. And oh, by the way, they got to find a way to stay eligible. Sometimes, in certain situations, in terms of staying eligible, some of them, some of them, well, certain scandals as we've seen throughout. I mean, I look at real sports and uh, saw a feature on a guy who got himself a college degree. I forgot what he got his degree in, but he said 
I, I think they gave him a test. I forgot the player's name, but they gave him a test, and they said his reading level was like fourth or fifth grade, and uh, it was like crazy. This guy has a college degree, but he really doesn't have anything to do with it. Doesn't know what to do with it. Doesn't really have any marketable skills. Doesn't have any marketable skills. It's 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 not right. It's not right. And the system obviously needs to change. I don't know how it could change. I don't have the answers. I'm just saying it needs to change. I'm, I'm not some kind of scholar who can come up with the answers here. But something needs to be done to to give these players, and, and not to put these players in a position where they're going to have to do illegal things, not illegal things, but illegal things in terms of the NCAA and maybe even illegal things in general in terms of, you know, maybe stealing and, and things of that nature in order for them to do what they have to do, in order for them to do what they have to do. So I look at it, and the thing about it is this. I look at it, and I, and I, and I say this. Something has to be changed. I don't know when it's going to happen. And you, you see that the tide is turning. You see the tide is turning towards change, the type of change I'm not really sure but the tide is turning towards change. We'll probably see change at some point. I don't know when, but I think it's, it's bound to happen. And change needs to happen, especially just looking at this study and looking at what these guys bring into the university in terms of the type of money they generate. I mean, these guys help generate a lot of money for colleges and universities throughout the country in terms of football and basketball players. The NCAA is... is Billion-dollar contracts, television contracts. It just doesn't seem right that the players can't get something. I mean, you talk about Shabazz Napier, who big time for UConn, was one of the reasons that the UConn Huskies won the national title in basketball last season. This guy talking about, hey, there was nights I'd go to bed hungry. I didn't have any money. I'm hungry. That's not, there's something wrong with that. This is a Division One player. This is a guy generating big. T- UConn basketball is big in Connecticut. UConn basketball is huge in Connecticut. I lived in Connecticut. I see it. That's, it it's like their pro team. It's huge. So I look at these players, and and you know, I, I, something has to change. And, again, I don't claim to have the answers here. And, you know, quite frankly, most of these guys don't make it to the next level. So, you know, and you look at the scholarship, the scholarship is renewable each year. It's not a flat four-year scholarship. It's renewable. And I know that's changing in certain conferences, but it's renewable scholarship each year. So with that being said, being that the scholarship is renewable, with that being said, you look at the situation, you, you, you look at these players, there's no guarantee when it's all said and done that they'll get themselves an education so they'll be marketable and, and, and be able to, to make a living and feed themselves. And that's an unfortunate thing. It's almost like 
their cattle, and they go out there, and, you know, we, we tell them that we're giving them an education, but are we really? Is the emphasis really on education or is the emphasis on you being a football player, being a basketball player? Everybody has hoop dreams. Everybody wants to make it to the NFL. Everybody wants to make it to the NBA, but everybody doesn't. So you, have to, you need something to fall back on. If you don't have anything to fall back on, guess what? It's going to be pretty tough out here. It's tough out here when you have credentials. It's even tougher when you don't have anything. So, I mean, something needs to be done. Hopefully something will get done. And hopefully, hopefully, we won't be talking about this five, ten years from now. Hopefully. The tide is turning. The tide is turning. And we'll see if the tide will continue to turn towards something, some kind of compensation for these players. We shall see. Chandler Parsons, he signed with the Dallas Mavericks. And then you had the situation. He signed the Dallas Mavericks three years, $46 million, $15 million a year. Is he worth it? Maybe not. But a lot of people aren't worth some of the money they're getting. But $15 million, $15 million. Well, James Harden in the Philippines. Philippines, he's in the Philippines right now. And, uh, you know, he's at a charity event in the Philippines. And he came out and said, quote, Dwight and I are the cornerstones of the Rockets. The rest of the guys are role players or pieces that complete our team. We lost some pieces and added some pieces. I think we'll be fine next season. Well, Taylor Parsons didn't really like those comments. And he told Jay Moore this, quote, that's a pretty ridiculous statement if he meant that. That's part of the reason I wanted to go to Dallas, because I'm ready for that next step. I'm ready for a bigger role. I'm ready for more leadership. If anybody should understand that, it's James, because he was the one in the same situation in Oklahoma City. And then he got his chance to come to Houston and shine. I'm not real sure what that means. And so, interesting comments. Chandler Parsons going back at the White, not the White, Howard James Harden. And, I mean, I like to think Chandler Parsons was a little more than just a role player for the Houston Rockets. I mean, 16 points a game. Five boards, four assists. That's a little more than just a role player. It's a little more than just a role player. And ironically enough, his numbers are, are fairly identical to what James Harden put up in his third season with OKC, 16, 4, and 3. So, and that was when Harden was the third option in OKC. And I'm not saying that Chandler Parsons is going to be James Harden. But I'm saying he's a little more than just a piece. But is he worth $15 million? Probably not. And you could argue, and we'll see what happens, but Trevor Ariza, that was a wise signing by the, uh, the Rockets. And, you know, they got him a lot cheaper, $8 million a year in comparison to $15 million a year. So obviously, and, and Trevor Ariza, he could shoot the basketball. And, and he had a pretty good uh, season last year for – the Washington Wizards, he had a pretty good season for that. He put up decent numbers, decent numbers. And so those numbers were decent. So if, if you look at it, and, and we'll see what happens as the season, when the season comes, because at this point we're in the off season, but when the season comes around, we'll see what happens. We'll see 
if Trevor Ariza can replace the production that the Rockets got out of Chandler Parsons. We'll see if that can be replaced. Should be interested to see if it can be replaced. But Trevor Ariza might probably is a better defender than Chandler Parsons. Trevor Ariza last season averaged 14 points a game. That's not bad. And you could argue, being that he's going to play with um, James Harden and Dwight Howard, that he's probably going to get some better looks. But his number is 14, 6, and 2. 14.6 rebounds, 2 assists a game. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. So the point I'm trying to make is, maybe the Rockets were right and making the decision that they made in terms of going in a different direction and signing Trevor Ariza and letting Chandler Parsons go. Maybe they were right in that decision. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But we'll see how that plays out. It should be very, very interesting. But I look at it, and, you know, James Harden, I thought – you know, Chandler Parsons was just a little more than a role player. Jeremy Lin, he's a role player, but Chandler Parsons, a little bit more than just a role player. But we'll see how this thing plays out. Let's go to baseball now. The trade deadline is upon us, July the 31st, so it's coming fast and furious. Let's go to Philadelphia and Ryan Howard. Um, Ryan Howard benched by Ryan Sandberg. Benched yesterday, and it's understandable that he was benched. He's been struggling of late. But he was benched by Ryan Sandberg yesterday. And you look at Ryan Howard throughout the course of his career, he did struggle with left-handers. So it's understandable that he was benched yesterday. But today, today his benching against Tim Hudson, a guy who Ryan Howard has had a lot of success against over his career, a right-hander, I mean, that's it's almost – and you cannot understand it from where – you can almost say it's a slap in the face, but you can kind of understand where the Phillies are going at this point. At this point in time, the Philadelphia Phillies stink. They stink. There's no getting around it. The Phillies, are they stink. And at this point, they should be uh, sellers. They should be sellers. I believe that the Phillies should put everybody on the table, probably except for Cole Hamels, stud left-hander. There's not many times – you can get stud left-handers. He's a stud. So I, I think Cole Hamels is a guy that, in my opinion, they should keep. Everybody else, obviously Ryan Howard, because of his contract, sold another $60 million after this season. Because of his contract, he's, he's untradeable. He's pretty much untradeable. So I, I look at his situation. I look at Ryan Howard, and, you know, I, I think, you know, it's probably an end of an era. Not probably. It is an end of an era in Philadelphia. And it's kind of a, it's time for a rebuild. You know, Jimmy Rollins, the all-time hits leader in Philadelphia Phillies history. I think it's time to see what you can get for him. Chase Utley, it's time to see what you can get with him. For him, Marlon Byrd, got to see what you can get for him. Cliff Lee, got to see what you can get for him. Everybody should be out there except for Cole Hamels. Because I think Cole Hamels you can build around. Everybody else should be on the market. They should be on the market. And, and so 
the Phillies obviously are going to be sellers. You look at the Tampa Rays. You know, last few days, the Rays have been playing some big-time baseball, winners of seven in a row. And you thought, okay, the thought was David Price of the Rays was going to go somewhere. You know, maybe the Rays were, and because you look at the Rays, seven back in terms of, you know, the division, the ALE, ALE, excuse me, but in terms of the wild card, they're there, four and a half back. And playing some big-time baseball at this point, as we said, winners of seven in a row. So that probably changes. That probably changes their thought process in terms of David Price. So that we should see, we shall see how that transpires. The Yankees, you know, CC Sabathia, out for the year. You know, a lot, of, you know, a lot of struggles in terms of their pitching. A lot of injuries in terms of their pitching. Could they be in a market for a guy like Cliff Lee? You know, they had some struggles at second base. Could they be in a market for a guy like Chase Utley? You know, could they be in that market? So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, there, there is some market. You'd have to think there is a market for some of these guys, some of these Phillies. And I know some of these guys have no trade clauses. Howard has one, but again, he, you're not gonna, you're not gonna trade him anyway, because no one's gonna take that contract. But you get the, you, you get the sense of the feel with Ryan Howard. Ryan, it's not like Ryan Howard is having an awful season. It's not like he's having an awful season. He's not having an awesome, awful season. He's not. I mean, 60 RBI, I believe that's six in the National League. Not bad. The average, obviously, is bad, 224. And like I said, he's been struggling of late. He's been awful of late. Been absolutely awful of late. But, you know, the Phillies, I, I think they're well within their right in terms of looking at the future. Because the Phillies, at this point, it's going to be a rebuild. They got to rebuild in Philadelphia, because the, the, here's the thing: a lot of times with success, you, you take it sometimes as far as you can, but sometimes you take it too far. And what I mean by that is you, you keep guys a little longer than you need to, and ultimately you pay the price. You pay the price for success. It happens, but you have to be innovative. You almost have to be out in front of it and, and say, you know what? Let me figure this out and, and let me try to start retooling along the way so when it's all said and done I'll be okay let me stock my farm system Philly's farm system is not really that good so let me do all these things so I can keep this train moving the Phillies have pretty much hit rock bottom and now they have some interesting decisions they need to make you can even argue one with their general manager a lot of people in Philadelphia don't have faith in Ruben Amaro Jr. and his ability to effectively trade guys and get the right type of pieces back. We shall see what happens. I want to thank Gary Owen for stopping by. Make sure you hit him up on Twitter, at Gary Owen Comedy. And if you're in Texas, he will be in Addison, Texas, Addison Improv, July 24th to the 27th. And also he will be in Houston, I believe, July 31st to August 3rd at the Houston uh, Improv. So support all the great things going on with Gary Owen also. I want to thank Vince Carter for stopping by. Make sure you hit up Vince Carter on Twitter at Mr. Vince Carter 
15, and also hit him up on his website, VinceCarter15.com. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash go for again. A lot of new content up on there. So make sure you support that and, and hit up hit that up. And also make sure you follow the show on Twitter at go for again, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day, great week. See you later. Take care. Bye.